0: It was sort of by chance, to be honest, I was volunteering when I was uh, in my 20s at uh, Lionsgate Hospital, um, wanting to get some volunteer hours, and they just assigned me to the seventh floor at Lionsgate, which it, half of it is palliative care. And my role was simply to go into these rooms and change the the water and the vases uh, patients had their flowers and. And I had to push this rattly little cart down these quiet hallways, and I had to wear this baby pink smock. I remember the first couple of shifts. I was, I was just terrified. What I found inside these rooms was very surprising to me. These were not terrifying places. These were actually, for the most part, um, rooms that were filled with authenticity, like I'd never felt before. Um, really about people coming together. Um, It was really about love. They were sacred spaces.
1: Even saying the word death can be scary, let alone having conversations about it. It's one of the few things everyone will experience. No one is getting out of here alive. And planning for that inevitability while uncomfortable is so important. But Tracy Chalmers, she's comfortable talking about death because she's had a lot of experience with it.
0: I am an end-of-life doula. I am a hospice volunteer. I facilitate the end-of-life doula care course out of Douglas College, and I also help write new programming there as well.
2: John died seven years, just over seven years ago now. He was 68 when he died. He was a larger-than-life kind of character, contracted cancer, probably a long time before we knew about it. And then he was diagnosed with uh, melanoma and died, chose not to receive treatment, and died within seven months of his diagnosis.
1: That's Annette, talking about what it was like to work with an end-of-life doula.
2: Because his children, it was a second marriage, so he had his children, his children and other family members were just distraught that he was, you know, that he wasn't seeking treatment, that he was choosing to take the path he did. So she, she was very, very helpful to them in terms of normalizing the process.
0: Sometimes it requires um, fierce advocacy. I remember during COVID, I was supporting a family where a man uh, was dying. Uh, of glioblastoma and he was 50 years old he had a young family he had two young kids and a a young wife people that were supporting him determined that the best place for him would be a long-term care facility so what this would mean would be that his wife and his children would not see him and this was like non-negotiable so we did a lot of work. We had to go out and find another palliative care doctor that was a fierce patient advocate and explain to him the situation. He had to get in there and, uh, you know, ruffle some feathers and make some waves and all that. And, um, and we actually did manage to um, have him admitted to a local hospice, which was absolutely the right thing to do because he ended up dying about three weeks later. This allowed his wife, and his two children to come in and visit him, uh, you know, and, and see him. Otherwise, he would have ended up in this facility and his wife and kids would have never seen him again. And I just imagine the trauma that that would have created for um, his family uh, and for him and his dying. And he takes and he takes. When, when death comes to us, there's so much we can't control. We can't control when, or how, or how old we are, or what it feels like, or is it painful, but there are things we can control. We can control how we need it. We have choices about what we do to bring about what kinds
2: of experiences for ourselves and for the people we love.
1: That's Sarah Kerr, death doula and founder of the Center for Sacred Death Care. She's the doula that actually worked with Annette and her late husband, John. She helped them through the dying process, and also after his death.
2: What happens after the funeral now? You know, what are some things we could consider when, for the burial? I didn't know, for example, that I, and so I did, and his one of his daughters did, were present of the day of his cremation, and we actually pushed the casket into the furnace. So, and and it provided lovely closure. It's sort of I felt so good about it. It's like you could I could accompany him and his daughter right to the very last moment.
0: By the year 2036, it's it's predicted that 25% of the population will be over 65. And this is huge. Like our our system is already overburdened. You know, we need to look at different ways of doing this and you know the beautiful thing is, 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 as you know, there is this generation of of baby boomers, if you will, and these are the individuals that brought in the birth doulas. They are the individuals that, you know, came up with the, you know, different ideas around marriage, perhaps writing your own wedding vows, and and now this uh, group of individuals is at the end of life, and you, we really are seeing this personalization of end of life care, where. You know, there's this questioning, like, is this working? How can this be um, more personalized? How, you know, how can we do this differently?
2: As a culture, we're really good at not dying. Encouraging and supporting people to not die. But when the job is to
0: die, people don't know how to do that. So I help them identify what's important to them, and then we work through ways of doing that so that the way
2: they die matches their values.
1: For the 2023 Health Series, I'm Sarah Hyde.